Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, and joined today by Emma Powell. How are you doing, Emma? Yeah, good, thanks. Excellent. And for the first time on the podcast, Julia Forshaw. How are you doing, Julia? I'm good. Excellent. How, how are you enjoying the ICA? You've been here a couple of months now. Is it a couple of months? Is it a month and a half, I think. A month and so a half. So good. Yeah, and you're, you're covering the uh, sort of food and drinks and those sort of things Yeah, consumer us. goods, travel and leisure companies. And there's been quite a lot uh, uh, of action on the results front this week in your sector. So uh, happening, we're yeah. going to talk about some of those. Let's start with uh, seven days. So the, the cover feature, by the way, this week is about ETF, so we won't be talking about that. I'd suggest you, if you're interested in, in our top 50 ETFs, tune into the Personal Finance and Funds podcast, uh, which will be recorded tomorrow. Uh, so, uh, yes, we're going to talk more generally around results and news. So let's start with news. Yeah, so maybe if we start in, in kind of seven days, the biggest stories, we've had some legal action or potential legal action. Um, the first one will be RBS. Fred the Shred might not end up having to take the stand, which is due to in June. Basically, they've upped their compensation. This is obviously regarding the 2008 rights issue. So, so there, there are a number of groups uh, of uh, angry shareholders yeah. who participated in the rights issue in 2008 uh, and felt they were misled uh, in how that, that rights issue was presented and yeah. are seeking compensation. Yeah, so they think that, that you know they weren't clearly informed enough of, of the state of the company. You could argue that it's, you know, did management actually know, did they not? Um, they've, they've already settled with some of the shareholders out of court and, and I think they're seeking to just to do that with all of them, basically, because it's a, it's a big kind of uncertainty in terms of the investment case for RBS. Yeah, so this should have already kicked off, but it seems to have been delayed a couple yeah. of times already as they seek to, to agree a, an improved settlement. Yeah, now it's been it's been increased from 43.2p a share to about 82p, so it's quite an increase in compensation, but now the, the case has been adjourned for another month. So it'll be rolling on. The, the case was due to start in March, but it's just been delayed and delayed. Yes. I mean, I, I do have uh, a view on uh, shareholders suing companies for misleading information. I would suggest that it happens a lot. And I think it's the job of the investor to perhaps protect themselves by, by taking off of what management say with a pinch of salt. Having said that, I do accept that management should be uh, taken to task if they are misrepresenting the, the company uh, to their shareholders. So it's, it's a bit of a tricky one. That said, my dad, who used to work at RBS for many, many years, was obviously a shareholder too, as many employees are. Many employees are a, a, a part of this, this case as well, these action groups. Um, and he wouldn't touch that rights issue with barge pole. He sold his rights. What does that tell you? That the signs were there to be seen. Yeah, although you'd argue having worked for the company, perhaps he would have some kind of inside knowledge or something depends on how high you are. I wouldn't say it was inside knowledge but he worked there he knew it was a shambles and, yeah uh, but that's a still a better <laughs> yeah but so did many of the knowledge so did many of the employees who are now trying to to, yeah. to get this conversation from rbs so yes indeed as i say I, I would always suggest investors are discerning and uh take responsibility for the money and investment decisions they make themselves mm. however uh there's another one which is tesco but what on earth is going on here? They're- yeah, so that's um, they've already released their um, compensation scheme or outlined the comp- terms of their compensation scheme. I think it was about two months ago now. Um, but it's about the losses that shareholders would have suffered in 2014 
between um, August and September, those specific dates. Um, and that was around the whole um, representation of information. And they say that they misstated financial information over a longer period than that. This is what this new class action is about. They've already got institutional investors on board, but now uh, Rosenblatt is the solicitor. Um, and they're trying to get retail investors to join them too in this class action. Mm. So it's kind of like a new allegation saying that actually you've come out, you've got this compensation scheme from, uh, I think it's 29th of August 2014 to 19th of September 2014. They're, they're now alleging that they were misstating the information for over a longer period than that. Yeah, okay. Again, it seems to me, I mean, where do you draw the line on these things? You know, Where do you draw the line? Yeah. I, I, I am dubious. It feels very... Uh, very American. I don't know how they're going to prove how it is very American, actually. Our, our company's editor, Ian, was we were discussing this and it is, it is more unusual in the UK. So maybe this is going to be a growing trend that we're going to be seeing. Because that's what we want. That's what we want. <laughs> lawyers, more money for lawyers. That's what we want. That's what, that's what that will solve everything. I think not. Yeah. Anyway, good luck if you uh, if you are uh, yeah, but- someone who believed they suffered during those dates, then there is some money there to potentially be get gained for you. But, yeah. Uh, I'm still dubious. All right. Okay. Enough about that. What else have we got, Emma? Uh, Also in seven days, we've got, um, well, this was actually written obviously before today, Thursday, the OPEC group have met and uh, the oil price has taken a bit of a tumble, actually, because Saudi Arabia wouldn't commit to deeper production cuts. So the oil price has taken a little, little bit of a tumble. Yeah, it's been bouncing around a lot lately, though. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Obviously, we've got China. Having its downgrade, first yeah. great down, downgrade in uh, about three decades. This, this is worry, worries over debt, the amount of consumer debt in the uh, Yeah, I mean, this economy. is a long, yeah, this is a long running trend. Everybody knows, everybody knows about the extent of China's debt. It's just been mounting and mounting and mounting because they've been propping up demand for their exports. The government has. So, I mean, this is this is kind of everybody knows the chickens are going to come home to roost at some point. It's when that happens. But obviously, this is not a good sign. No, no, it doesn't sound like a good sign. We're going to explore this further in further detail shortly, aren't we, Emma? On China generally. On China, on China generally, yes, um, which will obviously include consumer, but then it'll be about the commodities and demand there and, and I guess the rise of the middle class over there. Mm. Yes, it could be uh, in, signs of the end of uh, end of days there. But having said that, you know Germany, which is a big trading partner of China, is is booming. Uh, the what do they call it? The IFO index is uh, is hitting record levels. Yeah, it's not seen since the country's reunification. Wow. Yeah, all so, good yeah. in Europe. All good in Europe. Mm, not so sure about that. Yes. Well, could be a a, a, a temporary. Uh, Phenomenon, one swallow does not a summer make. Uh, let's go on to, to some of the longer news pieces. Should we start with Julia's piece? Bring Julia in, rather than you sitting there uh, while we natter on. You wrote a piece this week on what we're describing as kind of the premium leisure sector, the premium food and leisure, because there's some signs that, that that's coming under a little bit of pressure, in mm-hmm. particular a profit warning from one company. Yes, it all kind of centres on this uh, profit warning that Revolution Bars put out last week. Um, saying that a lot of sector-wide costs that are are coming into effect, like the living wage, a double increase to the minimum wage this year, a new apprenticeship levy, and some above inflation increases to business rates. Yeah, very contentious that has been. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but you know we've we've talked about this kind of noxious brew of of, uh, of cost increases coming through. Mm-hmm. It's starting to have an impact now. It is. And Revolution Bars in the past had always been quite relaxed about this and maybe trying to signal to investors that they they could handle this and it wouldn't be a problem. And their profit warning 
this week um, made them kind of face this head on a little bit more and say that actually it's going to take much more of a toll on the business than they'd previously expected it to. So so was this profit warning driven by by cost, purely cost increases, or was there an element of uh, weaker trading in there as well? Cost increases and also um, five of the bars that they opened last year are taking longer to become profitable than they usually do. It's usually within about a year they become profitable, whereas now they're not looking to see profit until about year two or three. So that Mm -hmm. just kind of added to this effect. And the share price fell um, over 40% on the day, and it's still been falling since. Yeah, well, because stories like this are, they are essentially expansion stories. You know, they are um, about opening new outlets. And, and, and when there's question marks over their ability to open new outlets profitably, then, then it changes the whole investment case, presumably. Mm-hmm. But oddly enough, it hasn't changed their plans going forward. They're still planning to open just as many bars as they had previously announced that they were going to do. But the profits just won't come in as quickly as they, exactly. they expected, which is not great. That's not great at all. Uh, I mean, is this is this a, is this an isolated example of of uh, of these costs hitting the sector? Or I mean, you talk about some other companies in the piece. Are they suffering as well? Companies in the premium food space, like patisserie, you mentioned, for example. Mm-hmm. And patisserie, I mean, all of these costs are going to affect every company in the sector. I mean, you can't really get around it. How, how do they mitigate them? Is, you know, is is anyone actually solving this problem? Mm-hmm. Well, patisserie, for example, they've been focusing on fixing their ingredients costs. So they have a lot more um, kind of certainty going forward of how much they're going to pay for these things. And they're also focusing on staff scheduling and trying to make sure they can be as efficient in that sense as possible. Mm-hmm. And they also kind of benefit from the scale of having a lot of locations across the country as well. So that maybe not all of their... Um, business rates are going to be centered on the more expensive ones in London where they have it's a bit more spread out and so they can some of the the locations that uh, are a bit more cheap can they can operate a bit more cheaply can help uh, make up for the ones that are a bit more expensive yeah I've, I must admit I've not really noticed these these about that much but they are they are quite prevalent there are a lot of patisseries out there whatever they call them patisserie valeries i have seen one it's in colchester it's in this funny little street in colchester and i've got to say they can't pay much rent on that it's uh it's a very odd little street if that's their strategy then it's very sensible mm-hmm. always very busy and it seems to be working quite well for them so far and with this uh yeah they basically created a net neutral rate review yeah and yeah that's, that's interesting because but, I mean, you would imagine bars on the other hand you know some of the revolution bars for example the, the premises they are looking to take would be very high profile, very large mm-hmm. city, city centre, yeah. high street. They're going to be more expensive. If we go along the scuttlebutt approach, which I know you I love like. the scuttlebutt right, approach. Well, if we go along that approach, I mean, I've, I think I've been into a revolution about two or three times. Do you like them? Absolutely not. Why? <laughs> I just, I don't get, I don't get what the USP is about them. I know it's meant to be all cocktails and things like that, but there's just so many bars out there doing it. It seems, I just don't understand it. I think all. I think that is a very good starting point to approach an investment a potential investment from if you don't get it if 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 it operates in a market you understand it and you don't know what's different then why would you invest in it no i Mm. i i I, I, yeah i just would never choose to go there the only good thing actually though about the revolution and some other premium um companies in that sector have is that they do have more flexibility on their pricing because the flip side is as a company like Weatherspoons, which we have on a sell. Um, and obviously, they're very committed to keeping their prices quite low. They did put did put through after a long time some price increases at the end of last year. But, you know, Weatherspoons, what is it known for? It's like, cheap. It's cheap. So if they're not cheap, 
you know what's the point that's yeah, their yeah, thing yeah. so they 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 kind of don't have the same flexibility so their costs are going up and while they've put up some modest well they've put some modest price increases in they can't go too high because no one's going to go there are no they? i mean this, uh, let's go back to revolution bars i mean as you say you know it's a premium offer you know it's cocktails you know what does a cocktail I don't think cost it's that premium, what, uh, all right that's uh personal views there but what, is it, well, what does a cocktail <laughs> cost you. you know let's say a cocktail. seven or eight pounds so if yeah, you're tacking like, on you know a few more pence to that then well, exactly it's, probably not going to make a big difference to the Extra end consumer tempi, compared yeah. to the average Weatherspoons customer so, so, that that would actually make quite a big difference to them. So why can't Revolution Bars just pass these costs through? Well, that's what they're planning on doing. And, right, uh, but why, didn't they spot, why haven't they done it already? It's, what's that's, happened? Why has there been this disconnect between spotting that, that, that costs were rising and putting their prices up? I think you, just thought you, could, you can put the price up almost immediately, surely, yeah, in this day and age. I, I think that's... They have. They, I mean, they, they clearly saw these coming, but I think it was the fact that they've uh, that some of these bars that they've just opened just aren't becoming as profitable as they previously thought as quickly. And do, so, do they have to offer promotions that, to get people in? And you know, a new bar open. They're, they're really aimed mm. at um, students. Like they're in all the student cities, so there's loads of promotions and like a tray of shots for a fiver. Don't quote me on that. I don't know if that's the exact price. Um, but yeah. I mean... I know nothing about <laughs> trays of shots for a fiver. But I'm just saying, about. basically... <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying that they have, um, you know, it's all about the student promotions. That's basically their target consumer. So they, so, so it's sort of being put past as premium, but the reality is that it's serving quite a price-sensitive audience. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You don't get... You, honestly, you would not get many people over the age of, I say, 25... In most typical revolutions. Well, I definitely won't be going to one in that case. <laughs> I hate it. Uh, great. Uh, let's talk about... Um, thank you, Julia. We'll come back to uh, to the consumer sector where we talk through some of the results in a minute. Let's talk about this other IPO that we had this week. Uh, it's in the consumer space still. Yeah, First we've retail ha- IPO of uh, 2017. We, we've had some discussions about this one. I'm, I'm not convinced myself. But um, yeah, Eve Sleep. Yeah, actually, talking about Eve Sleep, if you're going to take the scuttlebutt approach again, we could uh, ask James Norrington. He got his mattress from Eve Sleep. He did, yes. He had it. He, he foolishly he he bought into the idea that they compressed them into this easily portable little thing. So he had it delivered to the office. Yeah, but I mean, I I had heard about Eve Sleep because they advertise all over the tube. Well, that's like, why he bought it, didn't he? He saw an advert yeah, on the tube, and because that's how you should buy a mattress. Yeah, I mean, actually, that their thing is is that they take out all the complexity of it. So you have this kind of like standard mattress. Mattress. I think it's the complexity um, of buying a mattress. Say, I mean, it's not like buying a, a mattress particularly complex to begin with. <laughs> I'm quoting, I'm quoting the chief executive. Well, yes, um, Ca- this, is their, this is their proposition. This is their proposition, and this is a quote from him. People um, can delay buying a mattress for years because they don't want to go around the shops and look. I'm not sure. I, yeah, okay. I'm not sure how much I agree with that one. But, it, is, um, it sounds like it sounds nonsensical they are very trendy though they are very they are Ah, a trendy brand right that's different honestly their branding is is trendy that's different that's different but it but it's it's i mean we've also had discussions about you know how much a typical mattress costs that so there's a 399 pounds which you know you would argue is quite cheap it's cheap yeah you would argue i would argue (laughs) that i would never spend any more than that um but this is their thing that it's kind of simple kind of standard uh, mattress that they have they also do duvets and things like that but it's their the product range isn't that ex- extensive but the idea is is that yeah that's just something that's good quality but is you know value for money 
I imagine is what they're going for. Yeah, this is. I just, I just look at. It, I mean, you know, maybe this is. I've written about this in my editorials recently. Maybe this is my problem. I have a hangover of looking at things like this from from the old, you know, dot com boom, uh, Mark One, where you know people had all sorts of crazy ideas about selling stuff online and. It didn't really work in the end. Yeah, because, they do. Because, because if you want to buy... I mean, most people who buy a mattress, you know... You want to sit it, on it. You want to sit on it before you buy well, it, surely. It's, uh... Every... Uh, now, they do, um, across Debenhams and Fenwicks, across the country, they do have a little pop-up where you can go in and, and lie on it. Well, next You've time... have got I a Debenhams near you. We've got a Fenix in Colchester, actually, so... Mm. Uh... I'll pop along to uh, for a patisserie vat for a cake, yeah, and then, then uh, and then go and have, have a sit on one of these mattresses. Yeah, and you can you can tell us what it is, but um, but yeah, that's trading that began trading this week. Mm. So yeah, I mean it's quite steady at the the price it started Doesn't, trading at at the moment. In, ter- in terms of this business, I mean, it's, you say it's trendy, it's loss making, it's loss making, it's loss. Do we have any idea when it's going to make any money? Not yet. They 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 haven't actually signalled when they're going to put their first kind of figures out. So uh, yeah, it's kind of watch this space. Mm, there's a worrying statistic in there for me as well, which is, is when companies start saying this is a 21 billion, 21 billion the sleep market pound marketplace, the sleep market, and we only need a small bit of it. I just think, <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many times have I heard that? They they, they raised 35 million. And it was to go into the European market. I mean, also it's worth noting, like this is a very young company. This is essentially like a startup. I think the company's has only been around for about two years. So I think that was also what was quite surprising that this company, which a lot of people have kind of heard of, still relatively new, has now come to market this quickly. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of AIM, isn't it? But you know, you can do that. You you don't have to have this extensive trading record. It, yeah. can, it is there for companies that they're ambitious and uh, have exciting expansion plans. Exactly. Personally, I'll wait and see. Yeah, I think that's our view on it. I think that's the, the sensible place to be on yeah. this one, quite yeah. frankly. Okay, uh, let's let's round off the new section by talking quickly about this Berenson story. Um, Berenson is a a support services company that yeah does they do of... kind of washware and workwear yeah. and um, old class Berenstain and Bunzel is very similar they're very boring the boring companies. well boring yeah. until recently actually because um, there's nothing wrong with boring companies no there's we love absolutely nothing wrong with boring companies but it wasn't so boring last October when they had to issue a profit warning I think this was probably the biggest news that had come out of the company in quite a while that was that basically they hadn't been investing enough in the UK business um, so it's share price had took a massive plunge um it hasn't really it's recovered slightly but not really enough now one of their competitors elis has come along um which is another kind of pan-european textile company um because berenson also does kind of like linen and things like that uh, and made an offer for it which the board of berenson has uh, rejected and this is actually elis had actually come along before and made a previous offer a lower offer which was also rejected so they've come back you know increased their offer but management uh, at berenston have said they think that it's quite opportunistic they're trying to take advantage of the fact that its share price is so depressed at the moment um and that it you know elis has a higher leverage higher net debt to cash profits and they say that a combined group would have a higher leverage therefore and it would kind of hinder their investment and strategy for turning around the business do you believe that um i actually think or should basically should shareholder take take the offer when the offer is presented formally should they just take the money and run given given there has been a track record of of non-delivery here 
Yeah, exactly. And it was it was quite a management oversight to just not invest in the company and then obviously have um, all these problems. Um, it is oh, a premium. Sounds, sounds so familiar. It is, it is a premium um, to the share price. So I'd probably take it, yeah. Yeah. I would. I would. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on that one. IP Group were, was interesting this week. So IP Group is one of these... Growing bead of little mm. companies that essentially raise money and then cut deals with various universities to um, essentially rummage through their, their intellectual property and turn it into companies. Yeah. And IP Group is one of these. Yeah, IP Group. Um, yeah, it has partnerships with universities and it basically invests in kind of early stage technology and kind of healthcare. That's basically what they do. So, yeah, they've come along and made basically had to reveal that they had approached Touchstone Innovations, which was formerly Imperial Innovations. Yep, yep, yep. Basically really, really similar companies that had made an offer for it. Kind of their, their rationale for, for making the offer was that they could kind of have access to an enlarged group of universities, a portfolio, you know, an enlarged portfolio. Um, there'd be efficiencies, that kind of thing. Again, Touchstone uh, is another company that... Um, has refused the offer. Well, it was a nil premium offer, wasn't it? I mean, it, it, was... it was. I mean, it was not a generous offer. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a generous offer. Um, and actually, funnily enough, on the day that the offer was revealed, and it was revealed because um, IP Group are doing um, an open offer, which, and obviously because they were doing that, they had to disclose that they had made this this offer, which had been refused for Touchstone. Um, on the same day, though, that news was revealed, the shares in Allied Mines were up 6%. And, I mean... Allied, similar, similar type of company. So Allied Mines, yeah, those, so it's Allied Mines, IP and, and Touchstone are the kind of three competitors. But, yeah, the shares in Allied Mines were up. And just reading into that, I'd say perhaps there were hopes of a takeover because... Allied Mines has had quite a lot of trouble recently. I mean, its share price took a massive nosedive um, when they basically got a new chief executive. The founder has left and former chief executive, Chris Silva. Um, new new chief execs come in and she's... Um, they basically just decided that several of their portfolio companies weren't going to be profitable. Um, I, I can I can believe it. It's, it's a very difficult business. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, they're I'm building companies from scratch. I, I, yeah, I I have always been very. I've, I know this this sector going back a very long way. Um, and yeah, investing in those sort of early stage companies is very hard. It's very um, very hard. Valuing valuing is very hard. Valuing companies like Allied Mines and things like that is very hard. And it's interesting because our farmer writer, healthcare writer Megan Boxall, um, she's we have kind of opposing views on this because she's obviously she's very keen on the sector and on companies like these. And the argument is that, you know, rather than invest in a single kind of early stage company, you can have access to a more diverse portfolio, which I see that I agree with that argument. But I just think, I mean, it's very much kind of finger in the air stuff. And of course, they're competing with VCTs and and EIS in that space. And I'm pretty sure that Eve Sleep was was, uh, emerged from from the VCT arena. But um, but anyway, yeah, it's interesting. I, as I say, I, I think I agree with you. I don't know how you value these things. Um, it, it, you know, they are essentially valued on the, the basis of their assets and whether you believe the assets are worth what they say a they're lot, worth. A lot of the companies they invest in aren't even making any money. So yeah, but but then you're buying into the to of the, course, to the, yeah, the, to the, the chance. Yeah, that's what that's what Megan says very much. But if one, but if a company, if all you need is one company to make a major breakthrough, and the share price goes through the roof. But um, but that is true. I'm just more. It, it's it's definitely true. I'm just more skeptical. Do you not think that if you were to sort of bang them all together, 
you know, from that portfolio, you know, there, there will be efficiencies in how it's managed. But, but also, the more companies you have within your portfolio, the more universities you have deals with, the higher the, the likelihood that, yeah, that a big sense. success will come out of it. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I mean, that's the big argument for these companies. You get a diversity that you just wouldn't get by investing in a single company. So if you take that argument, then... To an enlarged group has got to be a good thing. It's just a shame that it's not a great offer. No. I mean, let's talk about... I mean, there's, there is another company that's not dissimilar to this, which is a very large company that you covered this week, which is 3i. Yeah, yes. In essence, these yeah. are mini 3i's. Yeah. You know, and, and, and yet, you know, here in 3i, you have uh, the, an example of a company doing what they're trying to do on a much larger scale and very successfully. Yeah, exactly. Although, obviously, the majority of what they do is private equity. Um, and I'd... I mean, they realise money all the time, and I'd kind of argue that at least you've got their so they're buying, they're, solid assets. They're buying established businesses yeah. that they're running running for cash, basically. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're very established, and I do think it's different. Obviously, they're not early stage, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have been at times. They have, well, they have been, but it's just... I don't know. I think investing in 3i is a lot kind of safer bet. Yes, and it's a nice-looking share price. Yeah. You've got them a hold, though, Emma. Yeah, because I don't think there's... Uh, I don't. I think the shares have done so well that it maybe a bit is a bit toppy at the moment. They are trading at a significant premiums in assets, which is uh, yes. I, I guess that's that's indicative of the hunt for yeah, you. Yeah, but they're definitely worth holding on to. Yeah, I mean, let's let's stick with results. Uh, Julia, busy week uh, for you this mm-hmm. week. What what uh, what caught your eye on the results front? Um, well, Marston's was an interesting one this week because they um, they had their half year results, but they also went on a little acquisition spree as well. And so, first off, they bought the biggest purchase was this company called Charles Wells Brewing and Beer Business, and um, it owns brands like Youngs and Bombardier and McEwen's. Okay, these are good. They're good brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, recognisable so brands. They're, they're Consumers big, know those. Yeah, big, big, mm-hmm. uh, big popular amongst the uh, the real ale supping members of the pub going society. Yeah, and then also they um, on slightly smaller purchases they bought um, seven what they called food and destination pubs and then three pointing dog pubs, which they think are more on the premium end. Okay. So so let's compare and contrast. We spoke about Revolution Bars, which is an expansion story. Masters, you've got that on a buy. We, we seem quite keen on this story. What mm-hmm. is it we like about that and, I mean, and don't necessarily like about, you know, in comparison, Revolution Bars? Yeah, well, when you're comparing them to expansion stories there, I mean, Marston's is buying um, recognisable brands. They're things that are already established and are, they can see that they're doing quite well rather than just opening new locations and kind of hoping for the best. Revolution yep. as well, the, the bars that were suffering the most were this new concept that they're trying, which is more like Cuban-style bar. and Rum bars, then. I quite like the sound of those. I do like a bit of rum. Maybe you will go into one after all. Very unlikely. You've, you've put me off, Emma. Completely put me off going to those bars. Anyway, so yeah. so, 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 you, so the difference is that these different. are these are This is an established. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you've got that worth of that brand name behind it. And yeah, so it's not kind of consumers trying out something new. It's going to things that they probably would have gone to anyway. Slightly different audience potentially as well. Yeah, I mean, Revolution. They do market to students, and so for these, I'm, I'm you know, I'm sure that uh, students will go, you know, to a Young's pub or something like that, but then so will a lot more people of other ages as so well. So a much broader potential mm-hmm, much broader, customer base. Definitely. I mean, the shares themselves don't look particularly expensive. Some nice uh, dividends coming out of them. So uh, a good good little story there. Mm-hmm. 
Always, always like pubs. How are they getting around the uh, the new pub code? They seem to be uh, managing that that upheaval quite quite well. They do. Yeah, management was quite confident that it's not going to be a big problem, and uh, only around eleven percent of their estate are tenant and lease pubs that can have the option to break this beer tie. And um, when I spoke to their team, they said that only a handful had even really looked into this so far. So this is just, it doesn't look like it's going to be a concern for them going forward. A happy ship. A happy mm-hmm. ship, Marston. I must pop in uh, to celebrate with them. Um, uh, what else have we had? Uh, Thomas Cook. Let's talk about Thomas Cook because, I mean, this is, this is a, you, you would imagine, a, a consumer bellwether, whether people are prepared to spend money to go on holiday sh- is surely a sign of how, how healthy the consumer economy is. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thomas Cook, Thomas Cook is looking okay. Yeah, and one thing that you have to remember with this set of results too, it's the first half of the year, and which is largely the winter months. And uh, management was saying that it's, it's quite common in the first half of the year for the results to look quite a bit weaker because just not as many people go on holiday in the winter. Yeah, and, and the so there was, half so, of the year is where they really get that revenue. So, so, they, were, so they were essentially, I mean, they've lost a lot of money in this. Some of that, I presume, is kind of one-offs and stuff. But, but, but it's a kind of, there is a, a clear seasonality the to the... half of the year. Yeah, when you go back um, for the last couple of years anyway, it's the same cycle over and over again that the first half looks quite weak, but then they more than make up for it in the second half of the year. So, so what are we, as in, potential investors in Thomas Cook, looking for right now that gives us a, an indication of, of, of how, how strongly they are likely to bounce back in that second half? Mm-hmm. Well, as an investor now looking at this, um, you have to look at what their bookings look like for the summer months. And right now, uh, bookings are up about 12% compared to last year. That's good. For the summer season. So that's looking good. And it's over 61% sold, which is... Um, so that's, that means 61% of their... Available holidays have been sold. That's right. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they were saying Greece this year has been quite a standout destination for them, which um, perhaps a few years ago might not have been the case. But Yeah, why not? I mean, Greece, Greece has obviously had its financial crisis. but it's cheap, uh, I imagine. Yeah, I imagine it's now quite it's cheap. looking more stable and it's looking still cheap. So, And I guess people shift away from other areas where they're, where they're potentially more worried. So Turkey, for example, mm-hmm. was a Egypt huge was another one as destination. Well, Egypt. A lot of people have moved away from. And people have just stopped going there. Yeah. Or to the same extent as they were before. Yeah, and tourism is a massive, uh, massive industry for Turkey. And yeah, it's died down so much because of it, unsurprisingly. In terms of what this boils down to uh, for the share price and, 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 our, and our recommendation on Thomas Cook, we, we like this story. We think, you know, we think this is a recovery that's now happening because obviously Thomas Cook over recent years has, has had its fair share of troubles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely looking like a much, much more stable business now. The only thing that's uh, a bit more precarious is this German airline Condor that it owns, where um, losses widened by about 19 million to now it's at about... 41 but they're expecting this to return to profit before the end of the year so that should also look look good for the full year results as well and also um for the full year results easter will be included in the second half results as opposed to the first year results that usually is mm. well that's that's uh, had a lot of weird uh, distorting effects on figures we said uh, cars mm. car production figures for example were, were down um but that was an Easter timing effect. So, mm. just be careful. I think what we're saying here is: look, when you look at the figures that are coming out at the moment, that there is some, there is some uh, distorting effect because of the the unusual timing of Easter. But uh, all right, um, yeah. Well, we've got lots of results this week, and we can't obviously discuss them all. Lots of property this week. I noticed in results: Shaftesbury, you know, t- tourists coming to Britain and and enjoying the West End. Having a wonderful effect there. Yeah, lots more property to come as well this week. Is there? Mm. Great.
Yes, no, it was, it's quieted down a little bit this week. Yeah, it is. Today's very busy, but yeah. Yeah, well, very busy. I'll let you get back to it. So thank you, Emma. And thank you, Julia. Uh, that's great. As I said, lots more, lots more results this week from some very large companies, including lots of property companies, uh, lots in the personal finance fund section, including, uh, as I mentioned already, the top 50 ETFs, which is the cover feature and is very long and lots of ideas there if you are looking to build a, uh, a low-cost asset allocated portfolio. Uh, all the usual tips uh, and comments and more in the news section that we haven't mentioned. Uh, a second feature, the second part of Jonas's feature on uh, how to play the property market market this week looking specifically at commercial property and yes there we go a busy week that was a busy week next week and then hopefully we can calm down and enjoy the lovely weather thank you emma thank you julia and thank you all for listening top 50 etfs four pound 90 and all good news agents all get online and subscribe thank you very much and see you next week goodbye hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 